So Paul's out of the picture. He is heading home. He is on a boat, however long that takes, and he's going to be there for about eight to ten years. He's going to spend quite a bit of time there. And our attention shifts back to Peter. Now, we haven't seen Peter since about chapter seven-ish, but the focus is back on him as sort of the primary teacher of these Jewish kind of congregations, these gatherings, these small gatherings of believers. Uh, Peter is the primary instructor, and we see him beginning to move around the countryside, going to these various groups and instructing them, as well as carrying out the Great Commission to go and tell the nations about the goodness and greatness of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we're going to pick up. And I wanted to get all the way through because there's a really cool miracle where we see one of only five sort of instances where somebody is raised from the dead in all of Scripture and all of the New Testament. And um, But we're not going to get there, so don't get your hopes up. So uh, 9.32 is where we're going to start, and we're going to look at these three verses. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. He's passing through town on the way to do this incredible miracle that we are going to see where he's going to raise this woman named Dorcas, also named Tabitha. We'll call her Tabitha because Dorcas sounds terrible. But he's going to raise her from the dead, and it is going to be incredible. And he's on his way to do this. He doesn't know that's what he's going to do, but that's the miracle we're headed to. And we've got four throwaway verses on our way there. So he's on his way to do this incredible miracle where one of only five instances in in the New Testament where someone is given life after they're dead, and we've got these four verses that just seem to be nowhere. But as I was looking through all this, and I was kind of looking at this study of Tabitha or Dorcas and how we were going to address that, I could not get past what I saw unfolding in those first four verses. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning. So Peter's traveling around the country, and he shows up in this town called Lida, which is sort of where modern-day Tel Aviv is. It's towards the coast. It's about, oh, I don't know, 20-ish miles away from where they were in Jerusalem. And he's traveling. He goes through this town on his way to encourage and instruct believers there. And he comes across a man named Aeneas, a paralyzed guy who had been bedridden for eight years. Eight years. And he stops because Peter's life has changed, right? We saw this back in Acts chapter 3 when he and John were going into the temple. And as they were walking to the temple, they walked past this guy who had been paralyzed. And they couldn't just look beyond him, right? They saw him. For days and years and months, that guy had laid there day after day as people went into worship the Lord and walked right past him. But for whatever reason, since Peter's life had intersected with Jesus, his eyes saw the world differently. And he looked at this guy, and you remember what he said? He said, listen, silver or gold I can't give you, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk, and he heals that guy. And the guy runs into the temple. You may remember that. It was weeks and weeks and weeks ago. But he runs into the temple, and all the religious people want to arrest them. And it's just this crazy scenario. But we see something very similar happening. So on his way to this town to visit with these believers, he happens across this guy named Aeneas, who we know nothing about except the fact that he has a name and that he has been bedridden as a paralyzed man for eight years. Eight years. And he stops and he looks at him and he says, Aeneas, 
Jesus Christ heals you. Take up your mat or get, get your mat and be done. And immediately he gets up and all those who lived in Lida and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. It doesn't seem like much. I mean, it really doesn't. It's just sort of one of those other healings, right? I mean, Peter's on his way. He sees a paralyzed guy. And he says, hey, you're healed. And he's healed. And everybody gets excited. And we sort of see that unfolding. But there's something significant about this interaction that I don't want you to miss. Something that I think that God has been speaking into my heart that I think is extremely relevant for all of us. And, and, and the first of these sort of things I'm going to share with you, one's a, a point. The rest are a bunch of questions. But the first is this. And that is this. Jesus Christ gives you a new identity. Now, I know most of us know this. We've talked about this, that we have a new identity in Christ. But very few of us truly understand this and allow this truth to change who we are. But in Christ, we have been given a completely new identity. So Aeneas, for eight years, has been labeled as a paralyzed guy. He's been labeled as a paralytic. It was who he was. It was what the world around him told him he was. It was all that he knew. And let me tell you how this went for him. Every day when he woke up, wherever he was staying, whether he actually had a family or not, or whether he stayed in a compound for paralyzed people, every day when he woke up, a couple of caring souls, right? Maybe they were friends. Maybe they were family members. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe he's been, you know, just had the past eight years of a 40-year life, or maybe he's only 16 and eight years of his life have been spent this way. But for whatever reason or whatever happened, he is now paralyzed. And a couple of caring souls every morning would get up and they would go to him and they would move him from wherever he was sleeping to one of two places. They would take him to the city gate and they would lay him there and he would beg all day long. Or they would take him to the temple gate. And in those two places, all the paralyzed or crippled people would gather because everybody passed through those areas. It's why Peter saw him, because he's walking into town, and most likely Aeneas was laying at the city gate. And they would lay him there, and then at the end of the day, when it was getting dark, probably those same caring souls would return to him. They would gather his stuff, and they would take him back and lay him wherever he was going to sleep. And for eight years, this is what he did. There was no change in scenery. There was no hope. There was no dreaming. This was his life, and it was the identity that he carried. He could do nothing on his own. He was confined to what everybody else said he was and the labels that they gave him. And let me tell you this, it gets a little worse, because in those days, oftentimes physical handicaps were associated with sin. People believed, right, that if you had a physical handicap, you or someone in your family, most likely, had sinned, and therefore God is punishing you. You remember the interaction that Jesus had with the disciples when they came across the blind man and they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father? And Jesus said, well, neither. Here, this is happening so you can see the glory of God and he heals him. There was an understanding that this physical ailment was somehow being associated with your own sinfulness or the sinfulness of your family. And so therefore, you were oftentimes labeled as unclean. Not only were you bedridden, but you were labeled as unclean and engaging or lived in sin, and God was punishing you. Aeneas lived this identity every single day. It's the reality of who he was. All of his life, for eight years, every day, it's all he knew. 
You have to understand this identity, right? You have to understand this identity. So here comes Peter. And he walks up to him, and, and my <clears throat> text says that he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take your mat. But the real translation there, as I was looking through it and looking it up, the real translation of that sentence is actually this. He goes, Aeneas, Jesus Christ is at this moment healing you. Get up and make your bed. Sounds very similar. <clears throat> All right, sounds very similar. But it's actually really different. <clears throat> and it's really powerful. Because he looks at Aeneas and he says, listen, at this very moment, Jesus Christ is healing you. Get up and make your bed. Now, why is that significant? Well, think about this for a moment. What has Aeneas known all of his life? His very identity is wrapped up in that mat, most likely a rolled out piece of something covered in cloth. It was who he was. He was defined by it. He was a crippled person, a handicapped person laying on a mat. And the world knew him as that. And what Peter looks at him and says, he says, I want you to get up because at this moment, Jesus is healing you, and I want you to make your bed. In other words, you're not going to be back in it. That bed will no longer define you. I want you to make it and take care of it because it is no longer your identity. Your new identity is you are a man who has been healed by Jesus Christ. Now, we would miss that. But I promise you Aeneas didn't miss that because the physical act of making his bed, folding up those cloths, is something that he had never done. It had been done for him, but he had never done it. And he had certainly never done it with the intention of never crawling back into it. That mat was what defined him. It was what the world told him he was, and it was what he believed about himself. And I guarantee you there were countless times where he allowed his hopes to get up, only to be tarnished, only to realize this is all he would ever know. And Peter looks at him and he says, make that bed. Make your bed. Clean up that part of your life in essence because it's no longer who you are. Now you and I, we live with identity. We've been told by the world that we're a lot of things. We've been told by our family we're a lot of things. We've been told by people, right? We live in identity. We look in the mirror and we define certain things about ourselves, And we claim an identity based a lot of times on what we do. Usually for a lot of us, it's not our bed or our mat that defines us, but it's the things that we engage in, right? It's what I do. It's my job, my effort, my things. And for a lot of us as Christians, our identity is wrapped up in what we engage in and what we do. And if we do a little bit of righteousness or a little bit of moral things, and we try and do this, then somehow I can feel better about what I'm doing in this world. And the converse is true that if I don't do that, then somehow God is judging me. And so we find our identity based in the effort that we put forward in our performance. Our performance for people, our performance for work, our performance for God. And we do those things to justify the fact, right, because of what we've been told all of our life, we do those things to justify our efforts. Because it doesn't make any sense to us that we have been given an identity that is not defined by what we do. But as followers of Christ, much like Aeneas, we have been given a new identity. And that identity rests in nothing that you can do on your own. Aeneas could not heal himself. His identity was wrapped up in what the world said and what he knew. It took a movement of Christ to draw him out of that identity and completely remake him. You and I 
I've been given a new identity in Christ. Completely and totally new. Nothing you can do, nothing you effort you put forward will ever earn you that. That God tells us that through his son, he has purchased your life out of death, exchanged that death for his righteousness, and he gives you a brand new identity. Most of us don't really want it. But we act like we don't, and our lives give us away. There's a lot of reasons for that. And they're wrapped up in several questions, right, that kind of resonate me with me as I think about this. Because what happens when Aeneas hears that he's healed, right? What does he do? He immediately gets up. It says, Jesus Christ heals you. Make your bed. Immediately Aeneas gets up. Now, that doesn't seem like much to you, I bet. didn't seem like much to me at first. But as I started reading this, what I realized is that that move, wrapped up in that sentence, is one incredible movement of faith. Get up. What if I can't? What if all these people are watching and I try and get up and I fall and they laugh? What if this is another in a long line of disappointments and brokenness where people tell me things will get better and they never do? I mean, you may not be thinking those things, but in my moments of transparency, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I've been told this is who I am. I believe this is who I am. My identity, even though you say it's in Christ, I see it as in who I am. Get up. Be changed. I'm petrified. I'd rather just stay here comfortably and broken than risk what it would take to attempt to raise up out of this thing and actually live who you say I am. The questions that this begs are this. Do you really want to be healed? Now, a couple of things you got to re- recognize before you can answer that question. First, you've got to understand there's something, things in your life that you've got to be healed from. Right? The first is our own deep death struggle with sin. So if you've never given your life to Christ, this is number one, the thing that we have to be healed from. You cannot earn your way or work your way towards salvation. It will get you nowhere, no amount of showing up at church or doing all the right things or whatever kind of moral effort you're throwing out there will ever do it. Only Jesus' death on the cross, raised from the dead, substituting for your life, period. But you have to recognize there's something you're healed from, okay, first and foremost. After that, you still have to recognize that there are brokennesses in your life of which you are a slave to, right, that we are petrified to turn over to the Lord. A lot of times they're wrapped up in in our control and our comfort and who we are. A lot of times they're wrapped up in relationships and fears and anxieties and worries, whatever they are. We have to recognize first that there's things in our life that we have to be healed from, right? The second thing is we've got to realize, right, that God can and desires to give you a new identity. Do you really want to be healed? Maybe these thoughts didn't run through Aeneas' mind, but they ran through mine. Which is, what if Peter said that and it didn't work? What if he told me to get up and, and, and move and, and I couldn't? And I tried and I fell down again and everybody laughed or I failed or I ended up here again? Or what would that mean? For eight years I haven't worked, I haven't known anything, I don't even know how to take care of myself. This I know. And as a mess as it is, at least I know how to navigate it. And a lot of us sadly live in that truth, which is, yeah, I know this is a mess, Trevor, I get it, but at least I know how to navigate it. Do you really want to be healed? 
second question, of course, that begs is, do you believe that Jesus really came through on that? Now, of course, the perfect Christian answer is to say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Jesus can do anything. He can heal me. But oftentimes our lives betray us. They give our, our little sort of lip service at our mouths, sort of paint our Christian worlds, and they give us away because we don't live that truth. We just say it. Most of us believe that God can do amazing things, but usually it's for other people. Very seldom do we believe that God can actually do those things in me. I don't have a problem believing that God can raise Ananias from a mat, but I got a deep problem believing that he can change anything in this mess. We believe he can move in the lives of other people, but do you really believe that he can change and move in you? Man, I'll tell you what, it's a truth that haunts me because I believe that God is alive and I believe that he is real and that he is more powerful and real than the air that I breathe. But so often in my life, I believe that he can't move in me. It's just true. My lack of faith, my inability or my, my feelings that maybe God doesn't want to do that in me, betray me. We have to come to a place where we want to say, God, I, I, I do want to be healed. And I believe that you can do that in me believe that you can do that in me. So for eight years, Aeneas laid there, day in and day out, day in and day out. Oftentimes, God's movements of healing do not come instantaneously. Now, in this moment, God heals him, but there were eight years leading to this moment. We want God to remove and relieve all of our struggles today. Jesus is oftentimes a movement of surrendering our hearts, trusting that God is working in me and that he can heal me on his movements and his time. And I look at that and I think, man, eight years. Do I really want to trust in a God that would take eight years to do what I need? Moments of transparency. We've been given a new identity. Do you want to be healed? Do you believe that Jesus can heal you. And then finally, the question is, do you understand what it really means when Peter, what it really means when Peter stops and he looks at Aeneas and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, at this very moment, is healing you. Now, I find that really powerful. It's, a, it's sort of this present tense moment of being healed. And as I thought about it, I thought, how true is this in our lives as followers of Christ? You know, the very kind of theological idea of sanctification. It's that part of salvation in which we are constantly and always maturing and growing into our relationship with Christ. Justification happens once we give our life to Jesus. He literally purchases us out of slavery and death and gives us new life, justified, saved, period, once. Sanctification is a process of continually growing into that relationship, maturing and developing, and God cleansing us and building us and healing us. Jesus Christ, at this very moment, right here, right now in your heart, is healing you. Now, it may not feel like it. It may feel like you're in year four of an eight-year death sentence. But the promise is this, that at this very moment, because you are being sanctified, you are being growing into your relationship with Jesus, he is at this very moment, whether you know it, feel it, experience it or not, he is healing your heart growing you towards his. It is a promise of the Christ follower. 
Jesus Christ at this very moment is healing you. It may not feel like healing. It may feel like pain. It may feel messy. It may feel difficult. But the deep, deep truth is that when you surrendered your life to Christ, you gave him everything, and he is constantly in the process of healing your heart. For eight years, Aeneas laid on a mat. I guarantee you wondering where God is. Right? And then one day, through the mouthpiece of a guy named Peter, everything changed. And Aeneas had the option. He could look at Peter and say, no, no, I I don't want to get up. I'm really good. Thank you for the offer. I really appreciate it. But this is sort of what I know. So I'm just going to keep living in this relationship, keep living in this nightmare, keep living in this disaster, keep living in this lie, this whatever it is for you, whatever that mat is, whatever that metaphorical comfort thing that you've got going on that defines your life, I will just stay here because at least I know how it feels and I can control it. Because if I actually get up and walk away from it, I don't know how to live in the unexpected way. Eight years leading up to that moment, where Peter says, Jesus is healing you. And part of the process of Jesus healing you is to what? Get up. I find this incredible. I find this incredible because part of that healing moment was tied to Aeneas rising up off that mat. Jesus is healing you at this moment. Get up. In other words, do you believe that he is healing you? Then rise up off that thing. If you truly believe that Jesus is healing your heart, whatever that means for you, then maybe you need to get up, to move, to laugh, to run, to jump, to forgive, to whatever that is, and quit laying there, right, feeling like this is now your plight in life. You've been given a new identity that does not define you. You are defined by Jesus Christ. He has purchased you out of death and given you a new life? Do you believe he can heal you? Do you want to be healed in this very moment? God is moving in your life, and he calls you to get up. So what does that mean to you? That Jesus is speaking into your life, right? Saying, look, I am healing your heart. Rise. Rise. So look what happens. And we'll wrap all that up by this. Not that much today. Immediately. Aeneas got up. And look what happens in verse 35. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. That moment that Aeneas understood who he was in Christ, his identity, that he had been healed, and he rise up, he got up off that mat, what happened? It was a beautiful display of God's glory and it changed the lives of the people around him. God moving in you, healing your heart, changing you, transforming you, is a display of God's glory. These four throwaway verses are incredible movements of God's truth. And he calls Aeneas off of that mat, and by standing up to his feet, those entire towns turned to the Lord. Because they saw God's glory displayed in the life of that once crippled, broken person. I don't care what the world has told you you are. I don't care what your parents have told you you are. I don't care what your husband or your wife or your friends or your relatives or your job or whatever it is. I don't care what the mirror has told you that you are. You have a new identity in Christ, and that new identity is an opportunity for God to display his incredible glory. So quit trying to 
cut a deal with God. God, meet me halfway. I'll do a few things. You do a few things. We'll sort of work this thing out. And understand that you've been given this complete new identity in Christ. And that living into that identity is an opportunity for God to display his incredible glory that can be used to change the lives of the people around you. Because you did what? Nothing. And God did everything. So quit believing the lie. Right? And the lie is so often not just what people tell us, but what we tell ourselves. You've been given a new identity. So get up. Jesus Christ is at this very 